We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. He turns. He fires for the win. He's got the bucket at the buzzer. Weber back to Bibby. Has the open shot. Ladies and gentlemen, up on those feet. Put those hands together. And we'll meet tonight starting five for your Sacramento. Welcome to the Kings Beat Podcast. I am James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. Joining me today, joining me today, oh, I got caught up there, Box 40, Sean Cunningham. Sean, how are you? I'm all right. Doing well. I feel like I'm working on the weekend, as usual. And uh, here we are talking to you, fellas. So there must be Kings stuff to talk about, finally. Uh, I think our last two episodes, we actually have actual Kings things to talk about on the Kings Beat podcast. So that's exciting. Yep. And we're in September already. Kind of weird that we it's do great. have basketball to talk about. I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, of course, we are also joined by Brendan Nunes from the Kings Pulse podcast. Brendan, how are you? Doing well. Um, long last couple of nights, so I'm a little tired, but happy to be here chopping it up with the Hammer Bros. Uh, I, oh. Hold on. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. What'd you do? Just hung out. I explored R Street for the first time um, a couple of nights ago. Last night, I was in San Jose with some family and kind of hanging out with them. And uh, yeah, dealt with some family things today. So been kind of busy. But yeah, I went to what is it called? Snug for the first time. Uh-huh. Um, that was he cool. He talks about it as if it's this foreign thing. I went to, is it called Snug? I'm just making, making sure. I'm just making like, sure I get the name for right. Like three years. I don't know what it's called. If I got the name wrong, you would be on me about it. Okay. I have to make no, sure. No, it's fine. <laughs> I'm just, I just, I'm picking fun because I like the fact that you're out exploring the city for once and you went to one of the more happening places in that vibrant, vibrant metropolis <laughs> in our street. The I'm veritable metropolis that is yeah. uh, downtown Sacramento. Um, right. Sweet. If you're here joining us on the podcast and you don't mind, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, give us a thumbs up if you have time. Uh, subscribe to the channel. We're not going live today. Uh, we have it, it's been a long weekend. We're all trying to figure out times and stuff that we can get together and do this thing. Uh, and I didn't want to rush out and just say, "Hey, we're going live." Um, so uh, you know, giving us a rating and review anywhere you you uh, listen to your podcast that also helps us. Um, and then jump on board with the Kings Beat. Go to thekingsbeat.com and uh, become a subscriber. 
become a premium subscriber to get invitations to things like the happy hour and all that stuff. Um, but uh, it's going to be a wild couple of weeks building up to the uh, the start of training camp and everything else. Um, I know Sean has a little trip planned. I have a little trip planned. I don't know if Brendan has a trip planned, but uh, things are going to be like a little bit like this dodgy where we're trying to throw things together and uh, match schedules and everything else. Um, outside of that, I, I will like make my announcement. Um, I am joining... Kyle Madsen on ESPN oh, okay. thirteen twenty on Monday through Friday uh, for the the Insiders, which is going to be from ten to noon every day. I'm super excited about that. Uh, we'll leave it lead into D'Lo and Casey, but uh, going to have our own show over at thirteen twenty, and that means absolutely nothing for the Kings beat. Uh, actually, it's a well, good not thing nothing. for the Kings beat. Not nothing. It's not nothing. Well. No, I mean, it's not going away. That's what I mean. Like the right. King's beat is not going away. No, it, it's actually, it's a really good thing because yeah. uh, I now have like a daytime job as well. Um, but I'm off at noon every day. I can get to practice. I can, uh, I still will cover every game like I have for the last uh, 13 seasons. And uh, so it will be business as usual at the King's beat just with, you know, better support. Uh, plus the power of a studio if I need to, jump in and do a podcast right after I get off the air or something. So kind of cool. Um, outside of that, what's going on with you guys? I felt like we needed like some fanfare and special effects with that announcement. I mean, Kyle's fantastic. It's great <laughs> for your rate that radio station and uh, yeah, more live local programming in the Sacramento media market, especially surrounding sports is a good thing. So uh, thrilled for you guys and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun and hopefully we can get Kyle into the mix somehow be it happy hour or whatever because he's a good a, idea. he's a lot of fun yeah yeah, yeah. I, I think i i will invite kyle to a happy hour uh so we can actually like everyone can meet kyle and hang out with kyle he's a good dude uh he has to have uh, he has to do double duty um he's our producer well actually probably triple duty he's the the producer he also runs the board and uh, then he's my partner on the show. I just show up and talk. That's all I do. I plug in my earbuds and go, all right, I hit a button to start the show. And then I go. Um, but there's a lot of more that goes into it than that. <laughs> For sure. For sure. I know you've done plenty of radio stuff before, but is this your first time actually like hosting your own show? Yeah, it's the first time hosting a radio show. Um, right. Even Friday was the first time I've ever hosted a radio show on my own um, ever. So, yeah, that's new. But uh, I am like one of the old school podcasters. So if you get people who are sitting here listening to this, you know, I started with Cowbell Kingdom um, about, I think, eight or 10 months into uh, running Cowbell. I started a podcast uh, with me and John Santiago. Um, I partnered with Aaron Bruski for a long time, Doug Christie for a long time. Um, and then, you know, you fine fellas uh, for the last couple of years. I think I've, I'm upwards of 800 podcasts that I've done. So, and most of them are like this, where I'm kind of running the show anyways. So it's not that much different. The only thing that's really strange is like having to know when to go to commercial break and then how to come out of commercial break. And then every hour on the hour, you have to do your, your read for what, television for what radio station you're doing and all that stuff um so sean knows a lot of this stuff from his time as a radio guy but 
Um, it's called yeah. your legal ID, your legal ID at the top of the hour. Legal ID at the top of the hour. And, and we already run for two hours here. So, yeah. No, I mean, two hours on the radio, though, is way less than two hours of a podcast. Right. Because, I mean, we'll probably have five or six commercial breaks in in hiding in there. It'll go super fast. Like four hours on the radio doesn't go fast. I don't know how uh, Damien and Kenny do that every day. And then they double dip and they have the 102.5 gig as well. And that's so they're they're literally on the radio for like eight hours in a day. And to me, that's that's crazy. I, I know my back couldn't hold up and do that. Uh, but I don't think my mind could either because you get done with four hours on the radio and you just want to curl up in a ball and take a nap. So. They sent James home on one of those Hannibal Lecter type uh, gurney things where you're standing up and <laughs> wheeled me out. Brennan has no idea what I'm talking about because he's never seen Silence of the Lambs, but it's okay. He can Google it. I haven't. I haven't. Yeah, see. I've seen one of those gurneys, but. <laughs> you know, it's an Academy Award winning performance by Sir Anthony Hopkins. You should see that. I, I started watching Black Hawk Down the other day. Oh, Jesus Christ. What did you get, like, through the credits? Watching, well, I was watching with my grandparents, and my grandma decided it was too gory at one point, so. It's war and that. rated R. Yeah, yeah. So what did she well, think? My, my grandpa warned her going into it, but uh, she she got reached her threshold. So I'll finish it here one of these days. Huh. There's oh, a scene, okay. I like that. There's a scene late in that movie where um, a guy gets shot in the leg and they're trying to dig into his thigh Spoiler to find alert. his femoral artery to clamp it. Um, that is so graphically like, uh, it like realistic and and bloody yeah it, it's it's not great if you don't like blood not grandma it's, material it, it's not the movie for you it's not yeah. the movie for you um okay well we got to see each other this week uh that was that was huge um during the off season we actually the three of us don't get to see each other in person very often uh but this week we all convened at the golden one center for Sasha Vizenkov's uh, introductory press conference with Monty McNair. Um, my first question to you guys, were you surprised in 90 plus degree heat that Monty walked in wearing long sleeves and a poofy vest? No. Should, should we be surprised by now? I don't think so. It's more surprising I when that he doesn't Vegas. have a vest, right? Yeah, he did it's a summer. It oh, he, he did do it in Vegas? Yes. Yeah. Wow. It, it, he called it his He's lucky committed. vest, which, you know, we get it. I, I, I mean... Who might who might have pick apart someone's wardrobe? I wear a hat every day, um, so like yeah, he's he's out there wearing his vest. It's it's uh, got kings on it. I mean, what more could you want? It's puffy. Um, he doesn't have I everybody should, doing it. I should get kings beat uh, vest to mock no. him and Wes. No, no like with, I, with I would, our logo. Would, no, no. First of all, come vests, on. Now. I have Brandon. a very unpopular take on vests. I don't think I, I might wear it just to mess with them. I don't think vests are that, uh, what's the word? I don't think they're yep. that great. I don't think you should. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you committed to a jacket. You just don't want sleeves. Just put a jacket on my guy. Just come on. You can throw a jacket on. You'll be fine. It, like how you uh, started with who am I to judge someone? And then just went. I, no, I don't mean money. I'm not saying, <laughs> I'm saying, I'm saying any gentleman that wants to wear a vest. And I, I, I feel like it's like, Oh, you're going to keep your core warm. Sure. Sure. But, your arms freeze. Sure. Your extremities. <laughs> I, just, I don't. This is and, such and a random thing. <laughs> I know. I just don't get vests, man. Vests are not. Uh, it's not for me. So I've told you they, they remind me. He looks good in a vest. 
every time they remind me of the first uh back to the future when he he shows up at like the malt shop and they're like like were you on a boat or something is that why are you wearing a life preserver because he's wearing a poofy vest and uh and the other vest i think about the the other vest i think about is pinocchio he wore a vest right he did wear a small vest it's just not a poofy vest oh oh yeah it was not poofy yeah, that's a that's a pretty deep stretch there. I don't know. I don't or or was so is Marty more Pinocchio or Marty McFly? It's more Marty, Marty McFly because it's poofy. But and then the other vest I think about is uh, Superbad, where he says he looks like Aladdin. Oh, okay. So, yeah. No, anyway. you're right. That's Welcome McLovin, right? Mc McLovin yeah. shows up wearing a, a vest. Uh, yeah, I, I'm. I think uh, all of us here are surprised that. Brennan knew that Marty McFly is a lead character, and uh, I've never seen it, but I know the name. Oh my gosh, he's never seen what? What is happening? Yeah, what is happening? Um, all right, so let's get you to have seen super bad though, right? You did, I have, have seen you did bad. okay, yeah, yeah. To make sure. Sorry, sorry, yeah. James. There's a million great one liners in that, most of which are completely inappropriate, so we, we won't go there. Yeah. Um, some didn't age well, but it's okay. That's all right, yeah. Uh, Brennan, my kid, Muhammad. Okay. Most popular name on earth. Read a book. Read a book. <laughs> Read a book. <laughs> um, Brennan, I'm going to start with you. When Sasha walked through the door, what was your first impression? Um, I mean, he's pretty tall. Kind of knew that already. Um, I don't know that I had a first impression when he walked through the door necessarily. Uh, did, did something stand out to you when he walked in? Well, yeah, no, you asked me that same question. You asked me that same question, and I was like, "Okay, that's an easy, that's a weird way to jump into it." I, I'm curious, like Brendan, did something jump out to you when you saw Sasha Vesnikov in person? Yeah, I, I mean, my my initial thought was, number one, I didn't think he was six foot nine. Um, like I think he's tall, but I mean, six seven, six eight, more seem more accurate. Um, and then the other thing was, he looked a lot leaner, a lot more fluid. Like, if you will, like he didn't like when you watch him play on on YouTube all the time or, you know, whatever, we're watching European action. He he just looked bigger to me and bulkier to me uh, watching him play. And then he walks in the room and he was built more like like Omri Caspi than I, you know, than I thought he I thought he would. I didn't think he would be. I I, I don't know. It, it was different. Like, again, like we see players all the time. And I think seeing players in person is actually like a really good thing because when you see them, you're like, okay, he's legit. You know, De'Aaron Fox is legit six foot two, six foot three. Um, or, you know, I know uh, I, I mentioned this, like Doug Christie used to tell me, like, I don't think Bogdan is six foot six. And then he ran into him and talked to him and was like, hmm, he's six foot six. I didn't expect that. And he's like, all right, that makes sense. So, but was there nothing that like stood out to you guys like physically about him that you were like, huh, it's different than I thought he would be? No, not for me. You guys are weird. Not really. I wasn't really watching for <laughs> it, I guess. There wasn't like a twinkle in his eye or anything that caught my attention. I mean, right. he, I, I think part of it was, I mean, we saw him from afar at California Classic. I saw him um, a little more up close in, in Vegas uh, and Brendan was down in Vegas as well. Yeah, I mean, there was nothing striking about him. Um, there was he, he looked like a basketball player, looked like a dude. So um, he looks more like 
a four three than he does just a four, like in person. Like he looks like you think, oh, he could probably play the three. Watching him on film, I don't think he can play the three. Seeing him in person, I was like, oh, okay. He's not as like again, like big and kind of lumbering as I thought he would be. Yeah, for me, it was all about um, you know, he he pretty much had the whole room in the palm of his hand. Uh because I, so I think there's such a mystery around him and his game and you've heard so much about him. So obviously, obviously the, you know, reputation and stuff precedes him, but to hit, to hear him be able to, you know, communicate and uh, art- articulate his thoughts and reasons for coming over um, possibility of fit- fitting in with his new team, what it means to be in the NBA and how it's his dream. And uh just just i thought he did a really really nice job of of i mean we all knew he could speak english but i felt like he was very thorough in the way he communicated um some of his stories and some of the things that he thinks that that are the reasons for him to come over and then and then to look at the team and see that you know he's a euroleague mvp and he kind of he wasn't like a Sasha or he wasn't like a luka Doncic or a or a uh, page stockovich who was a star right away he he kind of had to gravitate to that level right and evolve to this this sasha that you know now and i I feel because of that he doesn't necessarily look at the nba as while it might be a dream he doesn't look at it as well i'm just gonna come in here and i'm gonna dominate right away and i'm gonna you know have these like kind of visions of grandeur uh, of him being the star in, in in the united states uh he he speaks about the NBA game is is something that's very regal and and a whole bunch of talent and um, almost this like another level in his in his game. Um, he speaks of how it's the best level of basketball there is, which is true. And but to hear a European player come over and talk about that and put it on this pedestal in a way that um, that talks about how much the NBA is almost so much better than the European game is a little different because you don't really hear, you usually hear uh, so many other European players try to. Um, pick up the Euro League and say, well, it's right there with the NBA. And he makes it talk about, like, while they may not be worlds apart, he almost made it sound like they're worlds apart. So I felt all that was really interesting. Uh, I'd I'd like to get to know more about him and his background. I sat directly behind his parents, um, which I didn't know because the seats were open at the time, and then they came and sat down. uh, And, uh, you know, he spoke some, you know, how his dad always gives him advice and um talks basketball with him and I would imagine that's where his love of basketball comes from. Although, you know, not knowing that I would just assume that that's very, that, that that's where it comes from for him. And it's not too uncommon with what you see for a lot of young players. So um, that to me is interesting and, and how he'll adapt just as a human being uh, now being plopped in the States and hopefully he'll have some sort of family around him, uh, some familiarity, a friend, a girlfriend, whatever, and uh, to help him make that transition smoothly. But I thought he, uh, I thought everything he said was, was really uh, well done. And um, even though for a guy who doesn't like to talk a lot, as he says, he, uh, he said a lot. So he'll be fun to kind of chat with throughout the season. Yeah, he was, he was really articulate. I, I thought that he got his points across well, and there was never like with Duarte, for example, you know, maybe there's a word here or there that you kind of have to clarify and there was none of that with Sasha. Like everything was super smooth. He actually said that he went to international school, meaning American school, from his standpoint, um, growing up, and got to the point where he had even signed a letter of intent with Xavier. 
and was planning on coming over for college basketball, ended up backing out last minute. But um, he went to, you know, an American school and he kind of credited to that's why he he spoke good English. And you could absolutely see it. He got asked a question in Spanish and obviously understood well, but then preferred to answer in English just to be able to explain a bit more. But the communication was was great. You know, I, I knew that obviously he spoke English, but I was curious to see exactly to what extent. And I, I thought he was great in that aspect. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things is, you know, there have been a lot of players from like Lithuania. There's been plenty of players from like Serbia, Montenegro and and all of, you know, there there's players that have come from so many different countries. But Bulgaria, it it's we haven't really met a Bulgarian like I don't know that I've ever met a Bulgarian in my life. And uh, and so it was kind of interesting to because you never know, like mannerisms and stuff like, I, you know, spent plenty of time going into a, the Spurs locker room and talking to Pau Gasol uh, or Manu Ginobili or Tony Parker. And you get like very different, like it's again, their mannerisms are different. I thought it was interesting. He was super passionate. That's what I thought. Like, I thought he was very engaging, uh, was absolutely in love with how much the Kings showed him that they wanted him, how they just kept sending people over to visit him. But then on top of that, like he started to watch from afar and see how good the team was. And I thought that that was intriguing too, that one of the reasons he came over was because of the success. You know, you, you, uh, you think that it's great. The Kings win 48 games they get bounced in the first round of playoffs. But, you know, we're talking about all this experience that the Kings got. But from someone on the outside looking in, it was like, you wonder if this was a 30-win season like every other season coming into this year, if he would have come over, if he would have just stayed in Europe and said, yeah, you know, I want to be part of something, but I don't know that I can be the thing that changes everything. And so maybe I'll just stay here where I'm a superstar. And instead, it was almost like he, uh, he got enthralled by the winning. And, you know, he said, like, everyone loves to win. I, I, that's why I play the game. I play the game to win. And, you know, so, yeah, the winning did matter to him. And and I think that that was, like, one of the more interesting aspects. How do you guys think he's going to fit in? Uh, I, I think we've talked about this quite a few times, but we're already hearing a little bit of murmurs about him. Like, everyone has been a little bit, like, caught off guard by how good he is and what little they've seen of him behind the scenes. Uh, but, like, there's just a... a a fit component here with this player that seems to work perfectly. I think the size, the shooting, the IQ kind of just goes perfectly into what Sacramento needs offensively. And you hope that that IQ translates somewhat to the defensive end as well. And I think he's willing to be physical and, and that IQ really does play in there, but I think the spacing is going to be great. He does it in so limited dribbles is great at moving off ball, really efficient with his touches and with his dribbles. And I think that fits perfectly into Sacramento's offense. He talked about how, you know, the pace is something that really intrigued him, not only the pace, but how much they share the ball. He actually said it felt like a little bit more of a European type of uh, game and style of play. And that that was intriguing to him. And I, I think that he's going to plug into this, pretty seamlessly in my mind. I think they ran a lot of the same stuff. I, I think obviously there will be an adjustment, but in my mind, like offensively, I can't wait to get to watch him play next to Demonis Sabonis and how he's going to work in these dribble handoffs and moving off ball. Like, I think that's going to be amazing. I think we're going to see, 
you know, threes from the logo, which I got to say on the practice court, they have this huge script logo now. So from the logo, maybe not as deep as from the logo on some other courts when it comes to that, but he's, he's got a deep range, shoots it quick, high release. I, I think that offensively he is a near perfect fit in the Sacramento offense in my mind. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're so high on him. I mean, they have, a whole lot of expectations, I think. And, and it's like bottled hope that, that they can um, look to kind of, you know, see if it's going to turn into anything and, and they don't, they don't go and be this aggressive sending every, the whole, you know, organization over there to bring him over if, if they were thinking he'd be a, a fringe player. Um, so I think they have really high hopes for him. For me, it's, I'm not more cynical. It's just, you want to see it. You know, there's a lot of guys who come over from the, from European and they, they don't translate well. And he has a very modernized type of game though, which I think is very encouraging. So, and, and some of the things that he gets a lot of credit for, it's funny because like you, you went through him, Brendan, but he also plays with a big tenacity. Like he's, he's a, he's kind of an aggressive player, likes to get in the paint um, and can get to the free throw, free throw line, which is sorely needed on the Kings team. Can he do that in the NBA? Uh, I think is a big question. Will he have to play any different uh, than he does as a primary piece with Olympiacos than he will in Sacramento? So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. I know, James, we were talking about the radio. You know, I think you would mention something like a sixth or seventh option, and, and I don't necessarily disagree, but just kind of trusting what, you know, the organization feels that could be on, in line for, for Sasha doesn't feel like a six or seven guy. It feels like somebody who'd be in the top five for sure. And um, a guy who can score like that uh, could, you know, bode well for them. But, you know, obviously they have needs. Defend, defense is one of them. But when Monty McNair was talking about things that they love, they love his length. I mean, they love some of the things that he can provide on the basketball floor. So um, I don't think it's going to be like he's going to be a slouch defensively. I don't think anyone looks at him. I think there's a lot of you know, common fans who might think, well, he's not known defensively. I think they look at him as somebody who can be a disruptor. So, um, yeah, it'll be fun. Team defense is something that's sorely needed on this team. Can he check a box there? Um, I don't think many would expect him to, but I think the organization has him um, pegged to to really make an, an impact on both ends of the floor. And I, I, I'd i like to see it, but uh, that's why training camp is going to be so fun. I mean, we talk about so many of these position battles and I know we're going to get to some of the bigs, but to me, the the biggest question mark and the biggest thing that, that captures my curiosity is going to be all about Sasha Vezenkov when we see training camp open up. Yeah. So you guys talked about the defensive end. Uh, both of you guys touch on it. Like I, the Kings understand he has limitations defensively. And from what I know that one of the first things that they did was have a conversation with him about like, okay, first of all, you need to know the defensive playbook inside and out. Like we understand that you're going to be a good offensive player. You have got to understand the defensive playbook and where the rotations are and where you have to be. If you're going to stay on the court, because if not, it, it really, every, the defensive breakdowns that could happen, um, like you can't make up for that. It doesn't matter how good you are offensively. If you can't stay in your position or cover your teammates the right way, it puts everybody at a disadvantage. I, I think that so uh, they also, from what I know, like they're going to work with his lateral quickness between now and, and camp. And then they'll work with him next summer as well. Just trying to work on things that could possibly drills that could make him better laterally. 
but they also know that like getting him caught in space is probably not ex it's not what you want uh, which probably it'll play into the discussion we're going to have in a few minutes about the JaVale McGee signing and why you would bring in a guy like JaVale. Uh, but that's because, you know, you have a couple of players on this team that do struggle getting, getting caught in space. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't want to see the blow by all the time where guys are getting to the rim and scoring at the rim all the time. Um, but you also have to understand like the pluses and minuses of your players. Um, I also, I think one thing that's, gets pointed out every time you have this discussion, if you're talking with anyone with the team, is that they believe the two, the three, and the four are all interchangeable. And so on offense, they all do the same thing. They just start at a different spot. So the three and the four typically run down and get, you know, towards the corners. And then the two comes up and he, you know, sort of elbow extended area outside the three point line. And then they, they make switches and they, they screen for each other and stuff. But those three positions are very universal within their offense. And so that's where they think he'll fit in perfectly. And then on the defensive end, if he's out there with, let's just say he, he ends up with Kevin Herter and Keegan Murray, you'll just sit there and figure out who the, the three people are that they're defending. And he'll probably defend the one that doesn't score as much, the one that doesn't have the ball as much. And you'll try to not hide him, but make life easier on him in certain situations. So I think they have a plan for him. Um, and, and I'll bring you back to the question that I kind of brought it to you, Sean, uh, which is what you were answering. Like, if you look at this team, we know that the one and the two, um, they're interchangeable. You know, it's the, the top options on this team are Demontis Sabonis and De'Aaron Fox or De'Aaron Fox and Demontis Sabonis. After that, I think we get to another tier and there's a huge tier. And it's for me, it's Keegan, it's Harrison Barnes, it's Kevin Herder, and it's Malik Monk. And all four of them basically are about the same level. They do different things, but they all have about the same type of responsibility within the offense. And then we get to the next tier, which is your, your Trey Lyle, your Davion Mitchell, uh, you know, guys that you're not expecting double figures from every night. And for right now, I might put Sasha Vizenkov at the top of that tier, but I have a tough time seeing how he would break in to that other six. And I, that's not saying he's not going to have a good season. It's just saying, like, there's a lot of good players on this team that can score. And am I off base with that thought? Because, I mean, I, again, I that's what you were referencing earlier, Sean. Yeah, no, I don't think you're – I mean, again, we haven't seen it. You know, we haven't seen yeah. it at the NBA level. So he could even be a step below that, at least as a starting block. I think what they envision is ultimately him being in that second tier uh, and, and being among those players and maybe in front of – quite a few of them um but again that's that that you won't know that until he steps foot onto an nba court and we get to see it in action so starting him in that third or that fourth or however what tier you want to you want to diagram i think is fine because again haven't seen it yet and he, he has for a 28 year old rookie who's coming in with a wealth of experience and knowledge and iq um still got to put that's just on paper you still got to put it to action and uh, until you do that, it's, it's, there's a lot of mystery. And that's why I say like training camp is all to me. And it's a, it's a, it's a really fortunate place for Kings fans to be because for so long you come in and it's like, well, who's your starting three, who's your starting four? What happens here? Can this person take a huge step? You have your core. Like it's a, it's a, it feels Mike Brown told me just the other day, it's, it, it feels like a run it back season. They've added things that they're very excited about. 
But what excites Mike Brown the most is the fact that he has a core that's together, has some continuity to them, took a major step last year. And, you know, we all talk about like, oh man, what if Keegan Murray can take this huge step? It's like, yeah, what if? But I look at it a little bit differently, similarly to what I think Mike Brown looks at it. It was like, yeah, and if he could just duplicate his rookie year, that itself and, and not take any steps back. And it's funny we mentioned Chris Dorte because, and granted, there were circumstances, right? You take Demonis Sabonis off of his roster, you add a ball, a dominating ball handler like Tyrese Halliburton, two all stars in different facets of the game, but it does have a direct effect on Chris Dorte and maybe the 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 equity he built up in his rookie season and he takes a step back in his sophomore season and then you factor in an injury that he has to go through these are all things that are entirely possible you know that that players have to to factor and deal with so um if keegan murray can duplicate the success that he had in his rookie year because it was a fantastic rookie season for him uh that would go a long way for the king's success in my mind especially when you do have a core that features two all-stars and a potential six man of the year. And you've got shooting all across the, um, <laughs> the roster for the most part, the one part you don't have a lot of faith in is obviously defense. Uh, and there's maybe one or two other things that you can sit there and cherry pick. But again, this is a team that finished third in the West made a lot of strides and, you know, they have the continuity of one another and they have that familiarity. And if you're adding pieces that, that can hope to bring that level up, uh, and only improve upon the success that you had. That's the overall goal as Monty McNair uh, has laid out. So uh, I think it's exciting times and I'm happy for Kings fans to be able to experience it. Sasha yeah. even mentioned how much he appreciates the core being the same that he did his research last year, you know, and I, I was pretty impressed actually, you know, he's laying out two all-stars. They talked about first team, all rookie and, and kind of went a little bit down the roster and was able to name some things about these guys. Like he clearly did his research and talked about how he appreciates that it's the same core group. And I, I think there's value to that. And, and to answer James's question, um, I think that Sasha could end up in that tier of after Fox and Sabonis. And ideally, you know, I understand Sean tempering expectations. I think that's, reasonable because there's a lot of hype around Keegan um, but ideally Keegan can kind of separate himself and be alone in a tier two but then after that it's anybody's night is kind of what we saw last year right is whose night is it and I think there's going to be some nights where it's Sasha's some nights where he's closing games and again it's all hypothetical right now right and just kind of theorizing and we're going to have to see how this actually looks like there's also just an adjustment to being in the U.S. and you don't know how that's going to impact him, and that will obviously leak into on the court. So uh, there's a lot of variables here that we don't really know, but I'm optimistic that he can eventually be in that group and have his nights where you know it's rolling for him, and, and maybe he does close some games. I think it's funny, like 20 years ago, having a player come over from from Europe, there was always this huge concern. Well, how is he going to fit in? Like, there's no language barrier with Sasha Vizankov the world has gotten so much smaller in the last 20 years because of things like smartphones. And, you know, they really have like shrunk the world where like there, there are people all over the, all over the place to speak English. So he's not going to walk onto a court and have issues. I also like, you know, they have the same core, but then they add a 26 year old third year player and a 28 year old rookie. Like there is no, starting over and like trying to bring someone who doesn't know how to play the game along. 
And like while Sean says he expects Keegan to uh, to basically, well, that that the Kings expect him to at least come up and have the same type of year that he had last year. I, I don't even know like what you said, Brennan, where there's going to be a second tier that includes Keegan by himself as much as Keegan in this season might slide to the top of that second tier. Because I think that's kind of where this team is right now. There could come a point in year three, year four, where he's so good you can't ignore it, and he keeps taking steps, and all of a sudden he's averaging 21 a game, and that's the guy. Absolutely. But for right now, yeah. I still think that, that that roving core of four, they're going to take turns having big nights, but they're also, I think Keegan will slowly... You know, if he's averaging 15, 16 points a game by the end of the season, I think that would be great. I think the Kings probably envision him more like maybe 17, maybe 17 and six. And so that would kind of separate him. But I still think that like that group is going to do similar things. And I, you know, I've said this before, like I need Sasha Vazenkov to show me that he's equal to or better than Trey Lyles. That's like, I don't think that that's too much to ask. That's where I think his sweet spot is. If he can jump into that top six, that's great. But right now, show me that you can come in and, and be a really impactful player like Trey Lyles was last year. And, and you know, we've Sean and I, Brennan, we've all had plenty of conversations with the people within the organization over the course of the last two years while they've been courting Sasha. I think one of the biggest statements that I heard from somebody within the walls was, they think that there were four players on the roster last year that could have had the same season that Sasha had in Europe. And so I think that's where we're, we're talking about, like there's a, a good amount of confidence within the organization that he's going to be really good. And we just don't know what really good means. So um, the other big move we have, uh, which again, it, it was, it was kind of strange because it didn't happen it was going to happen. It was happening while the Sasha situation was getting ironed out. Um, but the Kings brought in 35-year-old center JaVale McGee. Uh, of course, JaVale's mother, Pam, played for the uh, Sacramento Monarchs. Uh, and I think it was 97-98. I thought she played longer than one season. I was surprised when I went Just back. Just in Sacramento, the one season. She was traded to the Sparks uh, in yeah, the second yeah. season. Yeah. Jerry Reynolds was on the radio day, the other day joking about how he traded her away and also talking about seeing young JaVale around and how he was kind of annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that. Um, it's funny. Uh, Jerry also drafted um, Paolo Bancaro's mother. And then I think waved her uh, during, during that season too. Uh, good old Jerry. Um, yeah. Like I know uh, Sean has a strong thought on JaVale McGee, but let's start with Brendan here. What is it that, that you like about this signing or don't like about this signing? What is your, just your initial knee jerk reaction to JaVale McGee joining the Sacramento Kings? Well, initial reaction is like, when are the other two centers signing? Because it seems like that's all they're, they're going to sign at this point. It's just an insane amount of centers and obviously still means that they are trying to figure out that spot. And it was very quick from when the news was out that he was going to get released, that he was probably going to get picked up by Sacramento Mike Brown spent two years with him in Golden State. JaVale's a three-time champion, two with Golden State, one with the Lakers. And I think to me, the open court stands out, just kind of the pace that JaVale can play with and having a lob threat 
I don't think there's really one on this team currently. Maybe Nerland's Noel could potentially be that, but I think JaVale is probably the best lob threat on the team. And again, yeah, moving out in the open court, I think stands out. I, I think there is a lot of overlap in my mind with Nerland's and it'd be kind of interesting to see how that battle potentially looks during training camp. He's, you know, maybe not as nimble as he used to be, obviously, you know, talking about a guy that's 35 now and been in the league for a long, long time. But, you know, there's a reason Dallas started him last year and needed to figure out their center situation. And then he eventually was out of the rotation. And that says something, right? He, he's pretty much essentially swapping spots with Rashawn Holmes and they had similar seasons. And, you know, we know Rashawn can play more than, you know, he's not a DNP player in my mind, but sometimes circumstances and the style of play really affects players. And I think that there's a chance that JaVale fits better here than he did in Dallas and vice versa for Rashawn. But I, I think it's interesting, it, but it is still hypothetical. I still think that, you know, we're talking about an option here. I'm still of the mindset of Sabonis, Len, Lyles, and then you know, who is going to be your other option. And I think that's kind of where I see JaVale potentially sliding in here. Sean, are you, I, that's not what I think is going to happen. Um, why don't just, you go, just, why don't you go ahead? Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I think they believe that JaVale is better than the other options after Trey Lyles. And I, I think the competition for roster spots just opened up. Because I think at first it was a battle between Nerlens and uh, Namias Keda. And now I think it's a battle between Nerlens, Namias Keda, and Alex Len. And uh, I wouldn't be surprised if one of those guys made the team. I also wouldn't be surprised if none of the other three made the team and they stuck with JaVale. And it's not because I think JaVale's head and shoulders above everyone, but I think the team believes he is. Um, they have a understanding of him uh you talked about mike brown but also luke laux had him as a player when he was with golden state but then also with phoenix suns like they do know how to utilize javel and he provides something that none of these other three can provide actually i think he provides two things number one um crazy shot blocking because and not only shot blocking but like a goalkeeper like he's someone who deters shots even if he doesn't block shots he deters a bunch of shots because of his crazy length and athleticism even at 35 the other thing he does is brennan you brought it up but he gives malik monk the the alley-oop guy the lob threat that this team just didn't have like they had all these bigs and none of them are the guy that really work with the the guy who's going to be the motor on your second team which is Malik so, monk. maybe mezzy a little bit but well, no, Mezzi last year, sure, but Mezzi's not on this team. So, right, right. yeah, and that would be my point. Like, the reason why Chemezi Metu uh, got to play last year was, number one, he was a little bit more versatile defensively on the perimeter than Rashawn Holmes. But the biggest thing was he was just an elite finisher in the air. And Malik Monk needs that guy. And uh, I, I looked at this and was like, okay, how's this going to work out? I think that Trey Lyles is still going to be the, the, the first center off the bench um but this gives you a really really large man in case sabonis gets in foul trouble or sabonis gets hurt um or you're going up against a team that has a monster and you got to keep throwing six, seven footers at him and 
Sean, I don't know. What do you got? No, you, I mean, you're on base within at least I agree. Um, he, nobody does what he does. He's got, he's got actual tape of him doing all these things that they need. Trouble is he's 35. Um, trouble is he's coming off of a, a, a really disappointing stint with Dallas. I mean, he signed like a three-year deal and they had to stretch him uh, to get him off their team. Uh, for whatever reason, year 20, they had to stretch yeah. 12 million bucks. They owe him like 2.4 million for the next five years. And it was, and he was a, 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 a an actual option for this team last year. Um, there were people within the walls that wanted him um, to, to be, a, you know, one of those mid season acquisitions uh, to make the playoff run. And I, uh, I think this is the perfect way to get him uh, right now because um, he, 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 I think the casual fan knows JaVale McGee is shacked in a fool. Like this guy's doing crazy shit all the time and, and people are laughing at him, but he's a very brilliant communicator. Uh, I think he's, he plays his role so well and he embraces it. And it's something that he, he had that in him so early on to embrace a role, not play outside himself. And that to me is why, people like Mike Brown like him so much. And that's why he's had the the three championships, an Olympic gold medal. Um, the, this is a guy who can step in and he knows the finer points of the game. And yeah, there's going to be some, some funny shit every now and then, but this guy uh, is constantly breaking down huddles. He takes a, a leadership type role uh, in, in like the active voice within the team, which is great to see. Uh, he's really blossomed and come a long way. Trouble is again, 35 years old it didn't go well in dallas now he actually gets a chance to to help move a team somewhere again uh where they in my opinion have a finer um core they have a, a finer set direction of what is asked of everybody and can he fit into that well obviously they're giving him guaranteed money uh, at the minimum here so um but make no mistake he's still gonna earn it so i don't think this team is necessarily scared of of trimming some salary you know, Nerland's Noel, we've talked about it on this podcast. I've said it a lot too. It's like, yeah, the idea of him is better than what the actual application is of, of him. Um, he hasn't been able to play this type of role consistently enough uh, on, and, and it's why he's been on so many teams. Teams are looking for that type of, of production and he seems to fit the mold, but then doesn't ultimately execute it well. So um, I, I still think that bodes well for somebody like Namias Keda who, um, you know, is going to have to use a training camp to, to try and sh- have the cream rise to the top and, and, and really compete for these type of minutes, but, or at least for this type of role on a team. Uh, and I think they'll, they'll keep more than one. Um, but to me, he does something that they all don't do. And it, it's one that they're going to have ultimate belief in that, that they're more confident in. But again, at 35, it's, it's, there's the positives and negatives. There's a reason why he's available. So uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but um, they, they've got their rim protector and they found one. What, what do you make of him being on four teams in the last two seasons? Uh, it, 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 it's the same thing. 35 years old, man, you know, some play, some teams may want him to serve a more active role than, than as what he did previously than, than what he does now. Um, I think injuries become a factor. I think, um, you know, 
different different coaches, different systems and organizations and, and what they already have in place. Uh, you do see a lot of teams that tend to shy away from playing centers and just go small. I mean, we saw it with the Kings last year. You've got a, a guy like Domas, but you're going to go with Trey Lyles in a smaller role. So um, there are moments where teams go smaller, but um, I think there's teams that like the idea of having a rim protector, but they don't always... Can, they don't have the minutes to, to divvy it out at times. I think the Kings actually have a need for it. Rebounding is it a is it a premium? You need rebounding help as well. Um, so I think you know having him with the Kings, especially early on, um, they'll be able to see if he can make any can improve them in any in any way, shape, or form. But Mike Brown has to believe in it and has to be able to go to it. And I, like you, Brendan, I'm not so sure that they're going to want to have him as a rotational player and maybe he's guy that's a that's more of a every couple days kind of a kind of a player or situational depending upon who you're playing yeah and brendan i would answer that question with this the dallas mavericks signed him to a three-year deal last year even though he was 34 so i mean they had him locked up 34 35 36 and then their entire team fell apart like they they made like poor basketball decisions but even coming into the year their team wasn't like it's not likable like what they're they're the pieces never look like they fit together at all and javel just looked like another piece that was that didn't fit like a square peg for a round hole you get to the kings and it's very specific what he's going to be asked to do like your job is to rim run it is to get in the pick and roll with Malik Monk. It's to play goalkeeper and talk on defense. And I, I think that that's where like I see where he can fit in pretty seamlessly. Uh, I also think that like this, the reason why I say it, it kind of opens up the door for like all three or four of the guys that are sitting there to be up for one or two spots, which is we'll just make it uh, the business of basketball. Um <laughs> This segment, you know, like I think we're going to have a discussion here on who we think makes a team. Um, but you got JaVale at 35. You got Alex Len at 30. You got Nerlens Noel at what, 28, 29. Um, you got Namias Keita at 25. Uh, all of the Nerlens and, and Namias Keita are both on, um, on non guaranteed contracts, but they're not nothing contracts. I mean, Nerlens is getting 300 to show. 300,000 bucks to show up to camp. Namias Kate is getting 250,000 to show up to camp. They either one of them make the team. Uh, Namias gets 500 and, and Nerlens gets 600,000. So, I mean, these are, they're $3 million contracts for, for both, uh, not for Namias is more like two, but for Nerlens and for Alex and for uh, JaVale, they're all $3 million contracts, but, this team looks like they're willing to spend to try something out. And um, I, I guess my question, and I'll throw it to you guys first before I give my opinion, like, how do you think this works out? Because it sure does look like maybe we got, because we're not even talking about like the second center position. We're talking about number three behind Demonis, behind Alex, I mean, behind uh, Trey Lyles. Who do you think is going to be standing when this thing's all said and done between the next four guys? And, you know, not to be disrespectful, we're not even going to throw Scalabisi air in that conversation. Um, you know, we got like, if you throw Scal in there, you got like 35 feet of center that's 
after your your number one and your number two. So what do you think, Brendan? Where we'll start with you. What do you think? Yeah, I think after again Sabonis and Lyles, that I, I think Lennon McGee are the two to me. Um, you know, I mean, it's probably the easy answer because they're the guaranteed contracts, and that says something. The fact that they're they're on those deals, but I think that they provide different things and they give you different looks based on what your matchup is. I think having that other big body in Alex Lynn is really important for the Joel Embiid's, the Jonas Valanciunas's, Nikola Jokic's. You know, you don't want Sabonis to have to be the one doing that every single play. And I think it's important to have a guy like that. And and you know maybe Nimi can be that guy too. It's like I don't think that Nimi or Nerlens are completely out of this conversation. Like they have an opportunity in camp to show it. You know, there's there's a world where those guys, one of those guys, looks like a better rim protector than than Javale, or or some of these other guys. Like they have an opportunity to to show certain things. But I think that if you went into it with Javale and Alex Len and Trey Lyles as your backup options, that gives you enough versatility and different looks based on what you want on that certain day. And that, you know, you can kind of pick and choose based on what you feel like you need. And those other guys maybe have their own skills and strengths and weaknesses. But I think that, you know, Len kind of just does what Nimi does a little better. And I kind of think that JaVale does what Nerlens does just a little bit better. But have to see how that plays out in training camp, obviously. Where are you at, Sean? Uh, I, I agree. I think you nailed it. Um, I think I think the one that uh, having Alex Len, having JaVale McGee, you've got the experience. You've got guys who played in the playoffs. You have guys that are a little more seasoned. Um, I think that's where they would – that's pretty much the way that they would do it. But I don't necessarily – and this is crazy, but I don't necessarily think that that means that someone like Kata can't make uh, a push there and make their decision very, very difficult. He's he's the one that to me, um, especially with when you're talking about playing Lyles at that at that at that five, you know, I I, I feel like you can still have another player like him on the roster. Um, and and to be honest, that's one of the reasons why somebody like Scal could be. I wouldn't bet on it, uh, but that's where somebody like him and his some versatility, uh, if he's able to show that might be able to make something there but that move is more inclined for stockton than anything else and uh but i i'm not i'm with you i'm not betting on nerland's noel i'm not uh (laughs) i don't i don't think that's going to come to fruition but like to see kata in this role where he has to go out there and prove it and make their decision very very difficult and if he does you know who does it come at the expense of mcgee or alex len that'll be an interesting uh kind of an interesting thing to see pan out. Yeah. I mean, here's how I kind of see it. Um, I think the biggest, like if we were to rank, like who is the biggest loser in the situation when uh, JaVale became a- available, I think to me, it, it was clearly Nerland's Noel because I mean, him and JaVale are similar except for JaVale has been able to basically stay healthy for 15 years. He knows a role he's played with the coaches um, not only that, but you know, like Nerlens Noel is what, like maybe 225 silk and wet. Um, and, uh, and JaVale McGee is listed at 270. Like this is, uh, a, a dude who is a big seven footer with a tremendous wingspan. So like, if I were going to list it, I would start there. And then if I'm going to really be like, look at the, the roster, like the Kings don't need 
two 30 year old uh, third string centers. At least I don't think, I mean, that's, that seems to me like a very strange path to take if you're a team who's building a roster for long term. And that's where I think Alex Len would probably be the second loser in this situation. And then the third is Kata, which I think Kata is basically in the same position he was before because now Kata is the one young guy on the roster. He does have skill. He did prove it last year in the G league. Um, and I think the kicker is that he's under contract next season for nothing. And, and it's a non-guaranteed two point, whatever million dollar contract, but it's nothing. And I actually, if I'm looking at it from like a thousand feet away, and we spent time with the Kings last year, like we were in the locker room, we like paid attention to certain things. Alex Len has a lot going on. And I, I know the Kings don't want to be the team that would like end his NBA career. Maybe he finds a spot somewhere else. Maybe he doesn't. But at the same time, um, you know, Alex was quiet. He did. He was a good teammate, but a good teammate who like was a good soldier that like didn't make any waves and didn't cause any problems. I like the idea of JaVale McGee pulling Namias Keita under his wing and working with him for a year, working with him for two years and trying to develop, trying to teach him how to have a voice on the court, how to how to, you know, get past the the Shackton, the fool version of JaVale to the player he became. And so I kind of like this idea because it doesn't really matter who that last roster spot is. Anyways, they're probably not going to be a major role player in this season. And so I think JaVale makes a team, uh, but I also think it might be a door that opens for Kata to make the team as well. And maybe I'm far off there. Maybe they don't have that trust in him. Maybe they believe in Alex like a whole lot. Uh, but like, if you're going to carry four guys on the roster that play the center position, I just have a really tough time believing that you're going to keep two 30 plus year old guys to be your third and your fourth. And like, there just doesn't really seem to be that big of a reason to do that at all. And you can send Kata to the G league where you can't send Alex Lynn to the G league. You can send Kata down and let him play. And, and then when, if you need him, bring him up. Uh, and then the last thing I'll bring up. If you're going to go deep in the playoffs in the Western Conference, you're going to have to go through Steven Adams. You're going to have to go through uh, Anthony Davis. You're going to have to go through Nikola Jokic. You need to load up and and have versatility at that center position that can give you different looks, especially if Sabonis gets in foul trouble. And I, I want to go back and look at what career-wise JaVale McGee looks like against Anthony Davis or... Uh, or Nikola Jokic, um, or even Steven Adams. I, I just want to see, like, is there one of those guys or two of those guys that he stands out career-wise that he's good against? And that would also be a huge determining factor for me. Well, last year was Kevon Looney, and they couldn't do anything right. against him. So uh, Domas yeah. needed help there. Uh, underrated aspect here. We talked about the Nerlin wall and how I wasn't a fan, right, as the nickname. Basketball reference nicknames for JaVale McGee are pretty good. We got Pierre. Pierre, his middle name, yeah. The Big Secret. Um, this is an interesting one. Uh, Big Daddy Wookie. Not sure the origin story of that one. Might need to get some clarity there. And The Great Adventure. So I think, you know, just that. He's got an edge on Nerlens. <laughs> Big Daddy Wookie. <laughs> well, what, I can't wait for what you do to we call have, him that. What oh, do we have yeah. for Akeda? 
we have uh like Kata has his own nicknames too right like king's fans portuguese fans like the Kata dilla uh <laughs> i had never heard that okay that's really stupid come on yeah <laughs> yeah uh, well i mean doing? you don't see the things that people post no i try uh, not like, to all the time like they're like, hilarious the photoshop graphics and stuff perfect. oh yeah yeah namia's Kata has has a stuff I, i'm intrigued by it like i i think hey game on you know i don't know if you loved what was happening before and now you kind of like oh man this is gonna be fun if nothing else i think javel's gonna be a lot of fun so uh all right well i think that's gonna do it we let's let's wrap this thing up um sean's got to go to work Uh, i gotta start prepping for my for my tuesday show uh on on (laughs) On sunday 20 um well i mean tomorrow is fantasy football day i've got to go do my draft tomorrow um it's it's a heavy day it's a day that i look forward to every year uh but let's uh let's start with final thoughts uh sean you got anything for us poor puddles the duck man that was a lot of push-ups 546 push-ups because the oregon state duck people are like those aren't push-ups first of all he's got a big bill like donald duck he can't (laughs) go down all the way like onto the like a full push-up so uh still nevertheless even those are even if they're half push-ups 546 of them because oregon put up 81 points it's probably the thing i've been most fascinated with over the past 24 hours so good on you puddles the duck has he been just doing push-ups non-stop so what he does is every time, so let's say they score a touchdown, right? And they've got seven yep. points up on the board. He's going to do seven push-ups because there's seven points on the board. If you score another touchdown, you've got 14 points up on the board. He's going to do 14 push-ups. Oh, so it doubles. And they got yes. 80-something? So eight, they had 11 touchdowns, 81 so, points, and that's so 540. No, 146. 546 because he has to do, when they get to 70, he keeps doing 70. Then he gets to 81, they got to do 81. So you just add them all up in succession. He does a point for every board that's on, every every point that's on the scoreboard does a push-up for. That's wild. That's a, he, that's that dude lot. must be ripped. Yeah, it could be a female. We don't know that. Puddles oh, is... Uh, the weight of the yeah. costume and everything. Puddles is a name you're not quite sure. That one of those names where it can go either or, so... <laughs> All right. I'll let you do the investigation on that one. <laughs> That's interesting. It can go either way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, Brandon, what do you got for final thoughts? Um, this Travis Hunter stuff is pretty badass. I didn't yeah, really cool. watch Dion, you know, uh, when he was playing, but seeing a guy do, you know, high school stuff where he's going out and getting two touchdowns, 100 plus yards, and then playing corner at the same time. And he had an insane interception that was just so sick. Um, really badass to see. And the other thing I'll throw in is I think I'm going to have an announcement this next week. Got some exciting news. Still crossing some T's and dotting some I's before I fully lay it out, but stay on the lookout. Something new, something different. Yeah. What are you um, doing, Brendan? What are you, what are you doing? doing? It's going to be when I watch the full movie. Be doing? The yeah, in one sitting. I watched life. <laughs> <laughs> you liar. He completed life. That's the big announcement. <laughs> <laughs> I would like to if you're going to watch life you also have to watch back to the future um so you can understand oh. the nexus of the poofy vest uh the beginning and the flux the, capacitor the flux capacitor oh we'll get my, there eventually my watch decided to start talking about back to the future um okay uh AI. yeah yeah there we go weird uh, okay window. final thoughts mr ham 
final thoughts. Uh, I'm not looking out the window because it's raining and I hate the rain. Well, I don't know if it's raining right now. I'm looking at the other side. Now he it's looks not, at the window. Yeah, it's not raining right now, but it ruined all of the festivities here in the lake, um, which, you know, there's usually music on the lake and some other things that go on for Labor Day weekend. Uh, weird weather. I don't know. It's very strange. Um, outside of that, uh, I don't know. Tune in on uh, on Tuesday to catch me and Kyle Madsen. Uh, the insiders on ESPN 1320 from 10 to noon. Um, that's going to be every, it's going to be Monday through Friday going forward. But of course, we're not doing it on the holiday. Um, but a new adventure for me, and it should be a whole lot of fun. A uh, big shout out to Damian Barling, who is like the grand uh, mastermind behind the scene who comes up with all these ideas. Um, but it should be a lot of fun and something that's been uh, sort of in the works for a little while. Uh, but that doesn't mean anything negative for the, the King's beat. We're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep doing happy hours and writing and podcasting and everything else. So stick on board with us here. Uh, cause we appreciate all of you. And, uh, I think that's going to do it for this edition of the King's beat podcast for Fox forties, Sean Cunningham and Brandy Nunes from the King's Bulls podcast. I am James Ham, Kings Insider for ESPN 1320 and the Kings Beat. See you next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.